And so our passage this morning is just that, where Peter and John have to give a defense for what it is that they are doing. So I would like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you are able to stand. Our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And Luke writes, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we stand here in your presence to hear from you. So I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Father, speak through me this morning. Keep me silent and give me your words to speak, to challenge us, to grow us in knowledge of you and deepen our love for you and to give us boldness to proclaim the gospel without fear. God, be glorified this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So our passage this morning begins immediately after chapter 3. So Denton finished preaching through chapter 3 last week, and our passage this morning takes up just seconds after that, moments after that. So to kind of give a recap from last week and the week before, Peter and John head to the temple, and at the temple gate is a man who is laying there begging, and he has been lame from birth. So he's never walked a day in his life. So he is laying there, and he's asking Peter and John for money. And Peter and John say, we don't have any money, but what we do, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ to stand up and walk. And they pick him up, pull him up, and he is able to walk for the first time in his entire life. So the whole world around the temple just saw an amazing miracle. And so they go into the temple, and this man who has been lame, all of these people have passed him day in and day out as they go to the temple. They know him. They've seen him. They've seen him there for decades. And they see him now walking around and praising God, and jumping around. And they are utterly, in Acts 
chapter 3, verse 11, that the people were utterly astounded. And so they run in Acts chapter 3, verse 11, that the people were utterly astounded. And so they run and they gather around and this crowd is forming around them to see this man that they knew to be lame and couldn't walk, now walking, and to find out what happened. And so Peter preaches the gospel to them. He's bold and preaches the gospel. And he does it in a way that makes a lot of us cringe in our modern society by saying, you denied Christ. You killed Jesus. It is, you are the reason Christ died. He points the finger at them. But then what is amazing is that he says um, in verse 17 of chapter 3, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. So he says, yes, you did this, but you did it in ignorance. You didn't know. But then now know this. Repent, therefore, in verse 19 of of chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. And then, concluding his little sermonette, Luke writes that Peter says in verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter takes this opportunity after this amazing thing happens to declare the truth of Jesus Christ to these people. Yes, he does it in a way that makes many of many points them to the hope. Yes, you killed Jesus, but there is hope. Repent, turn points them to the hope. Yes, you killed Jesus, but there is hope. Repent, turn back. God raised him from the dead so that you can be saved from your sins, so that you can be saved from your wickedness. And as Peter is preaching, and as John is talking, and as they are engaging with all of these other people, word spreads to the leaders of the temple of what's going on. And so they come and they seize them. They lay hands upon them. The ESV translates it in, um, in verse 1 of chapter 4, that the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So they came upon them. They didn't just come up to talk to them, to engage with them. No, they came upon them. They seized them. They grasped them. And what is interesting is who came. It wasn't just the priests. It wasn't the people that are performing the sacrifices. They brought the captain of the temple with them. The captain of the temple is the second highest rank in the temple, the highest being the high priest, then the captain of the temple. So this is somebody who is really high up. They got, they got the CEO, um, they got his attention here, and they, he came out to stop them. But not just that, the Sadducees. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus constantly has conflict with the Pharisees. And now throughout Acts, we're going to see conflict arise with the Sadducees. The Sadducees were another sect of the Jewish, the Jewish leadership. Um, they did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. They did not believe that. You die, you're done, that's it. No one comes back from death. And so the fact that Peter and John are proclaiming Jesus Christ rose again from the dead really got them fired up. So they were greatly annoyed is how Luke describes it in verse two. And that word annoyed, they were annoyed, they were distressed, they were troubled. 
So they were really put out by the fact that Peter and John are proclaiming the resurrection of the dead, that they are um, preaching something that they don't want to hear. They don't believe in, and they don't want anybody else to believe in it either. And so they come, and they seize them. They come upon them. And I love what, how Luke describes it in verse 2. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So these are the people that murdered Jesus. Um, different commentators um, will give different ideas anywhere from as less to 100 days prior to this is when Christ was crucified, up to a year prior to this. So somewhere between just over three months and a year was when Christ was crucified, when Christ was tried. And so they thought Jesus was done. They thought the whole Jesus idiocy and this whole Jesus movement, they put it to rest. It was done. They killed the guy. It's over with. Done. That's fine. Yeah, they stole the body from the tomb, but we're not going to talk about that. So we're going to keep that uh, um, hushed and quiet. But it's over with. It's over with. And now, now, if you think about it, just a few months before, you have Pentecost. You have out in the streets, the apostles, those gathered in the upper room are proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified and him risen again from the dead. And people are now starting to follow this Jesus movement again. So they're not blind to it. This isn't the first time they've heard about this Jesus movement, but the Jesus movement is now in the temple courtyard. It has now penetrated their house. It's come inside, and so they are greatly annoyed. And so they seize them to stop them, to shut them up, to keep them from continuing to talk. So they arrest them and put them into custody until the next day, because it's already evening. But you can arrest the preacher. You can arrest the child of God, but you can't arrest the gospel. The gospel will go forth no matter what. The gospel cannot be silenced. And even though they arrested Peter and John, more people were added to their number. And it says, Luke writes, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So commentators say that it's not 5,000 people that came to faith in Christ in this moment. The numbers swelled and grew. So at the start of the book of Acts, there's 120 or so followers of Christ. Then in chapter 2, we get 3,000 followers of Christ in one day. Then more and more are added daily, and here their numbers swell to about 5,000. And Luke is counting the men, so it could be 10,000. Because if you include the women, if you include the children, it could be 10,000, it could be more. So the numbers of Christ followers are swelling drastically, and this is troubling for the religious leaders. They try to stop it, but they can't, because you can lock a follower of Christ away in prison, but the gospel is going to go forth because the gospel is not our message. This is God's message, and God can't be stopped. You can try to shut him down, but you can't do it. So the next day, Luke writes that their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. This is a large assembly of leaders throughout Israel that are coming into Jerusalem. 
So they're rulers, they're elders and scribes, as Luke writes in verse 5, are coming together. So it's a large assembly. And then he starts naming some of the people that are here in verse 6. With Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. This is, these are the exact same people that were there a hundred days before at the trial of Jesus. So, Jesus is tried and is deemed that he is being blasphemous because he compares himself to God. He says, I am, and they are ready to kill him right then and there. And they send him off to Pilate to be crucified. And the exact same people that crucified Christ are now gathered around Peter and John. That should set the stage for what is about to happen. So there is not just five people that they are in front of. These are the big, big, big names that killed Christ and all of, the, and all of these elders throughout Israel and all of these leaders and all of these scribes and all of these important figures are gathered around. So there is a massive tribunal that Peter and John are brought into and they are standing in the midst of this tribunal facing them and about to be interrogated by them. So that paints the picture and should really cause our jaws to drop by Peter's response here uh, in, in verse 8. But they start off by asking him in verse 7, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? They don't believe that these men, these uneducated men, as Peter and John were, they were fishermen, um, men of just low standing in society, no one great. So it would be like the, the Sudra Das in, uh, in India. So the lower caste, the lower level. These guys, we know that you don't have any power because you can't do anything. We know that, that all this stuff that you're doing isn't your own creation. What's going on? By what power and by what name? And this is very similar to when Jesus Christ cast out a demon from somebody and the crowds said, oh, he's doing this in the name of Beelzebub. He's doing this in the name of Satan. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. They were very concerned by what name Christ and what power Christ was using to cast out this demon because that has power and that has significance. And that says, who do you line up with? Do you line up with the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of our ancestors and on, on our fathers? Or do you line up with that God, with our God's enemies? So in what name are you doing this? This is a highly important question for them. What power, where are you getting this power from? And so they bring that same question to Peter and John. Now, they already know, they know the story, they know what's going on, they know that Peter and John were proclaiming resurrection from the dead in Jesus' name. They know all of that. They know that these are Jesus' followers. But in this tribunal, they are asking them, they are pointing the finger at them and trying to get them to convict themselves. They are ready to crucify them. They are ready to throw them under the bus, run over them, and be done with this whole Jesus movement. And so 
Then we get to verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to pause here because this is absolutely amazing. Because this very same Peter, who is about to speak in front of this entire tribunal, is the exact same Peter a hundred days ago, in front of the same tribunal, denied Jesus Christ three times. No, I don't know him. No, I wasn't with Jesus. I'm not his follower. And then the last time, a little girl comes up to him and he curses her out, yells at her, and no, I didn't know Jesus. I don't know him. Get away from me. What changed? What changed Peter? That a hundred days ago, he's willing to deny Christ. I have nothing to do with this man. Get away from me. Leave me alone. To now, he's standing in the midst of the exact same people that murdered his friend, that killed his Lord and Savior, and he is ready to respond to them, and he is ready to preach the gospel and to preach the truth to them. What changed? First thing that changed, he saw his friend, and he saw his Lord and Savior rise from the dead. Death couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. This Jesus, whom they crucified, Peter saw him rise from the dead. He was there. He saw him. He ate with him. He heard from him. Jesus was with them for 40 days after his resurrection, teaching them. He walked with him. Death can't hold Jesus Christ, and death can't hold me. There's nothing to fear. Christ conquered death. That is the difference. The other thing, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said at the very beginning of Acts, wait, I am leaving, I am leaving you to ascend up into heaven, but wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. So the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter, and he is full of the Holy Spirit so that him and the other apostles can preach the gospel and Every language that was represented there in Jerusalem that day, languages that they've never studied, probably never even heard of before. And they're able to preach the gospel in those languages. And then here, filled with the same Holy Spirit. This isn't a special filling of the Holy Spirit that comes upon him. Luke isn't saying that, yeah, he was filled there, that filling kind of dwindled down, and now he's rekindled, he's refilled with the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Peter is already filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the same Holy Spirit that Peter received at Pentecost. He is filled with that Spirit now, and so he has no fear. He is bold in his declaration. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus teaches his apostles, and he says, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, which we just read about. And they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, Jesus said. They will hand you over to the synagogues and the prisons. Well, then we read that they locked them up overnight. And you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. So here they are, standing in front of this entire tribunal because of the name of Jesus Christ. 
This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Don't be afraid of being dragged before kings, before rulers, is what Jesus is saying. Because this is going to give you an opportunity to bear witness to Jesus Christ. We might say, like, I don't want to go stand before a king. I don't want to go in front of this tribunal. That's absolutely terrifying. But Jesus says, this is good. This is good to be locked up in prison. And it's good to be dragged before these kings because you get to tell them about me. You get to bear witness to who I am and what I've done. You get to bear witness to the resurrection of the dead, to forgiveness of sins. This is good. But again, don't worry. Jesus goes on to say, therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time. Many of us are intimidated and terrified of sharing the gospel. Many, I don't know what I would say. I don't really want to share the gospel because what if they ask me hard questions that I don't know? What if they, well, what if they throw something out of left field? I don't know how to respond to that. Jesus says, don't prepare anything. Don't have a defense ready what? (laughs) Really? I'm not supposed to prepare? For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That is why we don't prepare, because Christ is going to give us the words to say and the wisdom to know how to use those words in the right way when the time is necessary and the time is right. Now, Christ is not saying, you don't need to read your Bible. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to study that. No, no, no. We focus on the catechism questions like we're doing with the kids downstairs. So we lay that foundation. We memorize the scripture and we hide that in our heart. We read the Bible. We know the Bible. We study the Bible so that we understand it but we don't have to worry about preparing a defense. We don't have to read the scriptures and say, okay, now, if I was um, called to task out on the street by somebody, how would I defend this? We don't have to do that. That is not what Jesus is getting at. We, if you ever watch a video of a great apologist who is able to, to go toe-to-toe with an atheist who um, wants nothing to do with the Bible, doesn't believe in the Bible, and they're able to go back and forth, like, that's an amazing thing to watch, and oh, that'd be so cool to be able to do that. Jesus is saying, don't worry about preparing a defense for every single thing. Know me, love me, know the word, understand the word, and I will give you the words to Peter was there when Jesus said these things. Peter was there when Jesus said these things. Peter was there. This was Jesus' teaching to Peter. And so then, fast forward a couple years. Peter is now standing in front of the same tribunal that killed Jesus. And Peter knows Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is alive. I have his spirit. And so Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks. Peter doesn't speak his words. He is speaking the words that Christ is giving to Peter in this moment. So as we continue to read verses 8 through 12, what Peter says is given to him 
by Christ. So hear the words that Peter says and the wisdom that Christ has given Peter to speak to this massive, intimidating tribunal. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled, done to a crippled man, so already the wisdom that Christ is giving him here, he's saying, remember what we did? We did something good. It wasn't something bad that we did. We healed a man who was crippled. This is a good deed. So just to make everybody, we aren't possessed by evil spirits doing bad things. We're doing good. This is something we aren't possessed by evil spirits doing bad things. We're doing good. This is something good that we are doing. And this is why we are here in front of you today. So here's the wisdom of Christ already starting to come out of Peter. By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. That is bold for Peter to say that. That is bold for Peter to say that. Israel is not gathered in, in this meeting area, in this courtyard or this chamber or where Israel is not gathered in, in this meeting area, in this courtyard or this chamber or wherever it is they are. But the rulers are, the elders are. These are all of the representatives of all of the people. This, these are the leaders. These are the teachers. These are the ones that instruct and lead and guide. These are the guys that go out and say, you need to live this way, act this way, because God says that you need to do this. And so Peter says to all of them, and thus through all of them to all the people of Israel, let it be known to all of you. Therefore now, no one is without excuse. You all now know the truth. Let it be known to all of you, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you wanted to know what name it was? You wanted to know what power it was? It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not just any man who is named Jesus, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Bold. <laughs> Absolutely bold. These are the same tribunal that killed Jesus, and they know it. And Peter pointing the finger at them, saying, you crucified him. This Jesus whom you crucified, you tried to stop this Jesus movement, you crucified him, and it's in his name that this man was healed. But it's not just that. He's not dead anymore. This Jesus, God raised him up from the dead. God did. The God that you claim to love, the God that you claim to follow, the God that you claim to know, raised him up. So you tried to shut him down, but God said no. And God raised him up from the dead. And it is in his name and by his power that this man has been healed. The language that Peter uses here is past. It's done. He has been healed. It's not that he's being healed. 
He has been healed. It's done. It is finished. It is that same definitive language. He is standing before you well. That is the boldness that comes from knowing that Jesus Christ is alive. Knowing that death couldn't hold Jesus Christ. That is the boldness that comes from being filled with Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Christ said, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And Peter knows that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that is what gives him the boldness to be able to stand before these people because he knows Christ's words, Christ's teaching from Luke, that it is Christ who will give him the words to say. It's Christ that will give him the wisdom to know how to say those words. And so Peter boldly speaks because he knows he's not speaking of his own accord. And he does it without fear. He does it without intimidation. And he does it because he wants Christ to be glorified. Then in verse 11, Peter calls their attention back to the Psalms, Psalm 118. Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118, verse 22 says, The stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Peter takes this verse and says, That stone is Jesus, whom you crucified, by the way, and whom God raised from the dead. And you, by the way, are the builders that this psalm is referencing. So Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, and you are the builders which has become the cornerstone. Now, how many of you are stonemasons and build buildings out of stone? No one. So um, something I've learned, a cornerstone, when you are laying a foundation, it is the first thing that you lay down. And it is the corner, hence cornerstone. So it's the first stone that you lay down, and it is a corner. And it needs to be straight. It needs to be a perfect square. Because when you lay that down, and we'll pretend that this is the cornerstone, I'm going to build a wall with other stones right off of this, and then right off of the other side. That sets the direction and the trajectory for those walls. And if that cornerstone is not perfectly aligned, you're going to get some weird angles to these buildings and to these walls. And so your whole foundation is going to be, um, is going to be messed up. And so then the rest of the building and the rest of your plans aren't going to be aligned perfectly. You've measured, okay, well, we need timber for the roof and the timber is going to be this long. And then we've got enough tiles and other things to, to build the roof up higher. And we've got enough stones and everything else to build the wall this way. If that cornerstone is wrong, things are going to fall apart. Things aren't going to match. They're not going to line up. That's what the psalmist was saying. That's what Peter is saying. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. In other words, there is a new building that is here now. This system that you guys are operating in, all of you elders, all of you leaders, high priests, same guys that killed Jesus, Christ is the setting for a new building. Something new is come, and that is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. If you remember at the beginning of Acts, Jesus spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. 
And Peter is here saying the kingdom of God has come. He doesn't use that term, but this is what he's getting at. Christ is the cornerstone. The only reason why you would put a cornerstone down is if you're building a new building. You're not going to put a cornerstone down on a building that already exists. And so Christ is that cornerstone. And you, who are supposed to be the builders, who are supposed to be setting the stage, leading the people, teaching the people, training the people, you rejected that cornerstone. You said, no, we don't like that one. That's what builders are supposed to do. They look and they pick out, ah, this is the right cornerstone that we need. It lines up. And they said, no, 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 we don't like that one. Get rid of it. They rejected the perfect cornerstone, the holy cornerstone. They rejected it. And Peter is calling them out on that. He is taking the Old Testament text and saying, guys, who's supposed to be teaching from the scriptures? Because at this point in time, they don't have the New Testament written yet. But you take the scriptures, you're supposed to be teaching them. Yeah, this that you're supposed to know, this is you. You are the ones that have rejected the cornerstone and Christ is that stone. And then Peter concludes his message. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. Your ritualistic sacrifices that you were commanded to perform in, um, in the Torah by Moses, that's not going to save you. It is Jesus Christ and in his name alone. Not only does the name of Jesus Christ have the power to heal, the name of Jesus Christ has the power to save. That is who you are supposed to be looking to for your hope and your salvation. Peter is saying to the elders, to these religious leaders, don't miss this. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it's not just by the name of Jesus Christ that this man is healed, but there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the message that Peter preached at Pentecost. That is the message that Peter preached yesterday in the temple courtyard when they came to seize him, that Jesus Christ died. He was crucified. But God raised him from the dead, and in him and his name only is salvation. And this is a message that our world today does not want to hear. This is a message that these religious leaders didn't want to hear. Nothing's changed. They hated Peter and John for preaching this message then, and they hate us for preaching this same message today. You want to get somebody angry and mad at you? Say, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other way to be saved other than through Jesus Christ. They will call you a bigot. They will call you names and insult you. But this is the truth. And we don't have to be afraid. Look at Peter. What a transformation in a hundred days. What a transformation. He had confidence to stand before the same people that crucified Christ 
and point the finger at them because he saw the risen Christ. He was a witness to that. They said at Pentecost, we were witnesses to this. Peter and John said in chapter 3 in the temple courtyard, we were witnesses to this. We were there. We saw the risen Christ. He is alive. What more do we have to fear? What can people do to us? Kill our bodies? Okay. There's a resurrection. There's a resurrection that's coming. Death isn't the end of all things. The Sadducees say, yes, death is the end, but it's not. There is more to come. But if you want to be saved in the more to come, you must call upon the name. Oh, Americans, you can believe that all roads lead to the same place. You can believe that all. Oh, Americans, you can believe that all roads lead to the same place. You can believe that all. Oh, Americans, you can believe that all roads lead to the same place. You can believe that all you want. It doesn't make it true. There is salvation out fear. Because what can they do to us? Out fear. Because what can they do to us? Almost 500 years ago, a man whom you have all probably heard his name, um, nobody of all big importance, his name was just Martin Luther. Um, so uh, he wrote a hymn. And some of you have probably heard this hymn and know this hymn. I want to read it for you. The hymn is called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Luther, in his hymn, writes, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled, should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote this hymn, and it still holds true today. Could almost guarantee you, if this had been written at the time of Acts, 
Peter and John would have been singing this and humming this in the back of, the, of their minds. If Peter and John, Peter in particular, could radically be transformed from a coward willing to deny Jesus Christ before men to a man so bold, he points the finger at his accusers and calls them out and preaches the gospel to them. If Peter can be transformed, guess what? You can too. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He transformed Peter's life and filled Peter with his Holy Spirit. And if you believe in Jesus Christ today, you have the same spirit in you that Peter had. In this moment, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel to this tribunal, you have that same spirit in you now. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. You can take comfort in Christ because he is alive. He did rise from the dead. He did. Death couldn't hold Christ, And if you are in Christ, death won't hold you. This world is temporary. This world is just but a moment. And then we are with our Savior forever. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Do you believe that? Do you hold that as a truth? That there is salvation in no one else. And because there is salvation in no one else, you are willing to give up everything to declare this truth. You're willing to say, go ahead and persecute me. Go ahead and beat me up. I'm going to tell my family who doesn't know Christ because there is salvation in no one else. And I want them to know the truth. Peter and John wanted the religious leaders, the same people that killed Christ, they wanted them to know the truth and they called them to repent. They weren't afraid to say, you need to repent, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, there is hope for you. They weren't afraid of that because they weren't afraid of being killed. They weren't afraid of the persecution that was to come and we will see persecution come as we continue to study Acts. This is the first of the persecution, and this is just small potatoes by comparison to what's coming. But yet, over and over and over again in Acts, Christ's followers, God's children, boldly declare the truth regardless of what happens to them, and many of them die for that truth. We don't have to fear what our coworkers will say. We don't have to fear what our family will say. We don't have to fear what our neighbors will think of us. We don't, because Christ is risen indeed. And the wisdom to know how to use it, so it doesn't matter what they do. And the wisdom to know how to use it, so it doesn't matter what they do. His kingdom is forever. Let's pray.